Hi, my name is Tiga, and you're listening to Last Party on Earth. Over the next hour, I'll be asking the ultimate DJ question. It's your last set ever. What do you play? This week, I'm joined by my good friend, Kolsch. And if you're unfamiliar, he's a critically acclaimed DJ and producer from Denmark. He and I recently collaborated on a few tracks, which creates the kind of easy back and forth that podcast heaven was built on. Last party on earth. I met my friend Rune, professionally known as Kolsch, uh, backstage years ago at a Sensations White party in Copenhagen. It's one of those parties where everybody wears white. I, of course, refused to wear white. And uh, Rune walked in wearing a very special watch, and those two talking points were enough to get us started. Years later, he still inspires me with his passion, his great vibes, his clear thinking, and his intelligence. In many ways, we're complete opposites. The tension somehow works magic, not only with our actual friendship, but also our musical collaborations like Hal. I loved our conversation. I hope you enjoy it too. This is Last Party on Earth. I am here in Ibiza with my friend and fellow DJ and producer Kolsch, and we are here today to talk about your dream party, which through a cruel twist of fate also is going to be your last party ever. Mm. What a premise, huh? <laughs> that is the premise. It's a, it's, there's a sting in the tail. So I want to talk a little, you know, we're going to get into a little bit what, what the party would be like, obviously the music you would listen to and some of the feelings that, that, that would be involved. And hopefully in the whole process, I like to try to get a little bit at the hidden, deeper psychology of DJing. To begin with, I wanted to ask you about a party, the earliest maybe, or just a party that you remember that really either changed your life or just a party that, that made you um, aware of just how good a party could be. Um, I'm going to have to divide that into two parties, actually. The first one was, um, I guess, mid-80s, where I went with my parents to a New Year's Eve party in London. Some uh, fairly well-off people were, were having a great party, and I came over there, and they had this amazing sound system. And they were playing all kinds of salsa and all kinds of stuff. And it just the first time I ever realized that I could dance and i wanted to dance how old were you i was maybe six years old or something <laughs> and i just realized wow this music just goes straight to my bones and my feet started moving and i i danced for six seven hours straight with all the adults like you know kind of silly but it's like one of those things that i always remember because it was well that first, sounds like a fantastic party it was an amazing party <laughs> it was a really good party and all the kids were upstairs playing and uh and it was just around the area where Star Wars had come out and the, and the kid from the party had everything Star Wars. So I should have actually been up there, but I was down there with that amazing sound system just dancing, dancing away. And that was the first time I realized that that dancing was important to me, moving you, uh, that the whole, there's this, this extreme connection, emotional connection between moving to music, which, uh, which I'd never felt before. So that was probably the first impression of what a party could be like was for me the second experience i want to talk about was probably the first time i played at a really good rave which was in 93 in copenhagen in this old squatter house called the youth house which was full of punkers and every scum of the earth would come in there and there was no rules about anything holes in the floor uh, and um we used to do there used to be quite a few techno parties and uh, i'd called up the promoter called zepp very cool dude and said look if you set up some gear i'll come down and play because there was another there was there was actually a, a party already organized but there was a second room called the uh the egg where um it fit like i don't know 100 people or something and um they hadn't planned anything that night so i just called them up but fresh said look if you set up some uh, some some turntables i'll come down and play all night for free and he did and it was magical i mean this was like the early early days of techno and house music for me at least how long had you already been djing uh, i hadn't really been oh DJing. this was was this the first show this was the first public show well oh, i mean wow. I, I was playing in, in in the youth club where i was playing technotronic and and, and lambada and all kinds of stuff when i was like 11 years old but i think this was the first sort of so your first real show is also the show you choose to yeah so that's a good that's a that's a good start it was 
quite incredible. I mean, uh, it was a very, very sort of adventurous time in Copenhagen. You really had to fight for the right of music. It was prime days of um, of, uh, of rock music. It was prime days of uh, Nirvana. It was like everybody was totally into that 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 sort of stuff. So techno music was completely ignored. Nobody liked it. Nobody wanted it. So it was really you had really had to fight for your right yeah, to re- play that music. <laughs> I remember that feeling. The the us against them feeling, which I which. I don't know if it's, I mean, it doesn't seem to still be around, but maybe it is, but it definitely was a big, uh, it fueled the fire for a long time, especially when you're young. Absolutely. You get that sort of weird, I mean, I felt at the time, and this might sound completely ridiculous, but I felt I was some kind of savior of music. No, no, it's not. I was like a preacher. Yeah, me too. An evangelist. I was a nightmare. (laughs) I think I was truly a nightmare. (laughs) It must have been really terrible. I was at school all the time with these techno records and people were like, no, no, we don't like this. Like, you have to to listen to it. No, I was intolerable. I'm sure you were too. Oh, absolutely. So those, I guess, were the two parties that I'd I'd mentioned. (laughs) So you started DJing then in 93? That was the, well, I started DJing with electronic music in 93. Yeah. Before that, I was kind of just, it was more of a hobby. I happened to be in a, in a youth club where they had turntables and uh, and a little disco and used to go down there every afternoon and and, and play around with the equipment. And um, Okay, still it's 25 years? It is 25 years, this and year actually. How, uh, how many parties do you play a year around now? Now? Yeah. Uh, I just checked and it's been roughly the last... Three, four years, around 140, Whoa. 150 a year, yeah. That's a lot. So that's so you've played thousands by now? I guess so, yeah. Yeah. What percent this I like to ask you. I mean, what percentage of the shows now, when you're back at the hotel after that that you, you loved? It's it's like a, loved. You know, like a, where you really like where you have no questions, just answers. You know, yeah, you're like, yeah. yes. Um, it's it's a sliding scale that because there are different levels of love as always, which is, is the politically correct answer. But I will say no, no. But you know what you know what I mean. I know what like you mean. where you're, you know, it doesn't That's, mean the other ones are bad. No, no. It's just it's just those ones where it's like you're you're yeah. You've got ideas. You, you know, come you're just back like with more energy than exactly. You're okay. Exactly. Let's say maybe ten percent at the most. Okay. Yeah. Real, which is pretty good, I guess. I'm. I, so what happened is I'm, I'm very, just happy you didn't say like 70 because I would have jumped out the <laughs> jumped out the window. <laughs> no, I think as as um as an artist also you get better at saying no to the wrong bookings over the years so the percentage of parties get better hmm. with with experience in the sense that you know where you fit, you know where the crowds work for you, you know what uh what people you will be able to connect with when you when you perform which is uh, always a very very difficult piece of a puzzle to get right. Yes. So let's have your first record. This is your dream party. It's the last set you're ever going to play. Um, what is your opening record? My opening record is M83. My tears are becoming a C. It's pretty short. It's like two and a half minutes long. But I just wanted to... Uh, first of all, it's an absolutely beautiful piece of music. I think everybody's a fan of M83. I don't know anybody who isn't really. But I think this sums it up so well in the sense that it's a serious occasion, but it's always it's also something very beautiful. I When I hear that track, I, I think of a few things. First of all, as a DJ, your decision to start with, you know, with a clean break, mm. with, with a, a statement, an emotional statement, as opposed, I mean, it's not mixing in, no. it's not just beats, it's, it's definitely, and that very much reminds what I think of you. I think of someone who, there's the emotional component, and there's like the beauty component, and it's obviously important, you know, to, to set that stage. I think it's extremely important. The DJs that I look up to all have a very, very particular sound and are very proud of what they do. And I think a DJ should be. I mean, our biggest mission is to tell a story in some in some way. It could be any pretty much any story you want. And I think the, the most depressing these days is these middle of the road DJ sets that don't really go anywhere. I'd rather go and listen to a DJ that I think is totally terrible, but I still respect the person for playing what they like than just some middle of the road tech house stuff. Yes, I'm with you on that. I also thought too, when I, the M83 track is beautiful. And I was thinking as a producer, maybe I'm going to reveal more about myself than I intended to on this one. No, but when I, I've always, as a producer, uh, I've always kind of struggled with this division between, 
I guess the easy way to put it is secretly wanting to be a songwriter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that, that yeah. thing of where you hear these beautiful records yes. and then in your own productions, you know, kind of when I heard the M83, that's the first thing I thought of is like, do you, are you a, I don't want to say closet songwriter because you write songs, but do you know what I mean? Do you aspire to a little bit more of that traditional rock pop idea about I th- about I th- I songwriting? Think all techno producers do. We secretly, have to, secretly, some people we have, hide it. We have that wish of wanting to be able to create something so beautiful. I mean, when I listen to Bon Iver or M83 or pretty much anything that has that sort of alternative folkish vibe to it, I just I'm so struck with inspiration and I'm 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 I'm, all, I'm in awe of how did they do that? How do they write these songs that touch something so deeply in me? And I wish I had that talent, but I just don't think I do. Honestly, I mean I I I I must you must, I mean I've come to learn that there are boundaries to my to my talent and I know exactly where they are yes, and they I, stop with songwriting. <laughs> I consider my greatest talent simply that I realized the limits of my talent. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. I think, that is, I think that's, that's actually what I'm good at. That's one of the things you have to learn in yes. life. Absolutely. I agree. Do you, um, do you have a pre-show ritual? Mm. Is there any, you know, is there anything particular you do? Do you get to shows early? Do you show up last minute? Do you like to hear the guy before you? Uh, actually, I would love to hear the guy before me, but I rarely do, which is super depressing because of <laughs> the tight schedules and flights and, and a lot of times there are multiple shows in one day. I always end up coming in last minute, maybe hearing the last 20 minutes of the guy before me. And honestly, uh, this is one of the biggest issues that I have with what I do is that I wish I had more time to go and hear other DJs play. And that's probably one of the reasons why I really like doing back to back with, with a certain You're very forced to listen. Yes. <laughs> like when you, when we're playing back to back, I'm, I'm always super inspired by the records you play. Obviously we're very diverse in our taste, which is also really refreshing for me, but I just really just enjoy also seeing the reactions to, to records that you have been playing for a while that you think work with the crowd. Because a lot of times I get stuck in these weird ideas in my head of what shouldn't and shouldn't work, and it's sometimes very limiting. I need, Same. I need to sort of really bash my head against the wall and go, Rook, dude, play something different. Just, yeah. do, just challenge yourself a little bit more because I'm super worried that it won't be as a successful experience for the, for the kids. Yeah, I like Back to Back also because I think we all, everyone, you can't help it. You try to stay open-minded, but you end up thinking in terms of genres a little yeah, or what yeah. and then what's nice is when you have a friend or someone doing back to back with that you trust you're just hearing their favorite records basically mm. and mm. some of those favorite rec- obviously are things you you wouldn't touch normally yeah. or you wouldn't be exposed to and yeah. you're kind of forced to um what which reminds me uh, when we play back to back at uh at the off sauna party where you played that that track the boys noise track Oh yeah, that I completely lost my mind over, and yeah. I really wanted, which then he didn't send me the bastard. <laughs> but then it came out what, two weeks ago, and I've been hammering it ever since. <laughs> it's a big one. That it's one. such a good record, but it's one of those things that I got from you. Yeah, and it's probably not something I'd usually play, but I just that record just struck a tone with me, and it's I'm really happy that it did. <laughs> yeah, well, here it's that's something too. I think you know, there's something DJ is definitely you have to have the capacity to you know, it's imagining a song live too, you know, and that's why it's nice to hear it live yeah. when someone plays. It's not the same as hearing it on your laptop or. No, oh, it's, it's a whole sonic experience. Yeah. yeah, completely. What, uh, choosing a track of your own, if you were forced to, yeah, I know <laughs> forced to choose one of your own productions, uh, which one would you pick? So I was, I was actually going to say goodbye, which is a record of my last album, because it was such a fitting title for the occasion in the sense that it would be the last DJ set that I played. But I ended up going with um, with All That Matters that uh, I did a couple of years back with a guy called Tolz Abrahamsen, a very famous Danish band called Vito. And the reason why, which ties very much into what we just spoke about, is that it's probably, for me, the best piece of music that I've ever been part of making I mean his vocals are just so absolutely beautiful and the song in itself is just I, I, we really struck something that I think is, is amazing there and 
it's from 2011, I think. I'm not completely sure. And it's it stood the test of time. When I listen to it now, it seems like it didn't even seem like it's it's something I made because it's still that, for me is that's mission accomplished. It is, it is, <laughs> and and I feel it's it's I feel it's that good. I mean, I remember when you made it. It's it's an 11 minute long version, and uh, and they they came from Spotify and from radio stations and wanted edits, and I refused to do the edits because I just figured this is so good. It just needs to be what it is. I'm tired of all that radio edit stuff. So that's what it is. 11 minutes. <laughs> You mentioned it, you say, you know, you didn't even feel like you made it or whatever. And I, and I know that feeling. Uh, yeah, it's amazing feeling when it really does feel like it just, I don't know, you, I don't know what it is. It's something, a trick of memory. It's like you don't remember it all happening. Yeah. And it seems kind of impossibly perfect. I mean, it's very rare yeah. that you have that feeling, but it, it's really nice. It's it's a super fortunate feeling to be able to have about something you made. Yeah. it's And also like so... I sometimes, is, I mean, there's only a few tracks like that where I'm just, I'm so like happy it's done, you yeah. know, if that makes any yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's like, mean. I can't believe all the little things that had to go right and it's done, set, complete, forever. I think there's also something about the process of making a record because, I mean, when you make the record, you go thoroughly tired of it. And I think for the first six months after I've released a record, I'm so damn tired of that particular tune. And so it kind of grows back and then start playing it again. And then I get really tired of it again. But after a couple of years and you listen back, you also have time has done a very good job for you because you always have a clarity of vision as you're not as involved in it as you were when you made it. So you, you can you can judge the quality better, I guess. What's your overall feeling on playing your own records? I don't mind. I feel great about it now i mean it's, i know it's 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 part of the show that's it's kind of what i have to do i mean i'm primarily known as a producer so not playing on records people get really angry i'd get hate mail for that <laughs> I, but i, I envy you because it seems but again this maybe is just like grass is greener you know maybe mm -hmm. it just it always seems like other people have an easier <laughs> but i know but i always i see how you you seem to be you seem to be a dj producer that found a very good zone in terms of being able to present the records they produce as a DJ. And I don't know, it, it seems to, it seems to fit well together. You know, you know, I'm glad I'm, because I mean, I, I I'm, al so. I'm always really worried about that because I mean, obviously I've got a few big records that I still like to play. And some of them, I kind of feel that I have to play because I know that, I mean, other than the, the kids with the cell phones begging for me to play records, which is a luxury, like people that come to hear you play certain records is an absolute incredible experience. But at the same time, it's a bit challenging because maybe that's not what you really had in mind. I, I've had it. I'll be, I'll be honest. I mean, I, it's not about me tonight, but, <laughs> but I've had a, I've had a tough time with it over the years. And isn't I, it, and I, isn't it weird? I've had a super hard time with it. I don't feel that I ever, especially like festival stuff, I don't, I honestly don't feel like I ever really solved the puzzle. Maybe I didn't work hard enough, but anyway, move on. But, but I, when I hear your set, so I feel like, okay, it makes sense. The music, the music he's made and even the ones that are a bit older still fit in a little bit. You've, you've, I don't I'm, know, you've I'm trying, done I mean, the work. but I try and I, I try, I work on it every week to figure it out. Well, I you think know, that's the difference. I guess maybe that is it. <laughs> So what is, okay, peak time record. Now, peak time, not, yeah, first time your peak time record, and then I want to understand a little bit your views on what really is the ideal peak energy-wise, but that's yeah. a separate thing. So mm. what is your, your peak time record? I mean, this is, this is a big moment. Yeah, so from a purely egoistical standpoint, I'd have to say Photon Inc., What is House Music, which is an old DJ Pierre record from about 92, I think, which was the first record that got me into house music, really. Like, so this was, is a bit of a tribute. It is of. a tribute, and it was the first time I realized that less is more when it comes to house music. It's super repetitive. It goes on for about nine minutes, and <laughs> there's pretty much nothing in it. Sounds perfect. But it is a really, really good record. And I, I still play it to this day. And it's one of my favorite records ever made. Um, but I mean, it's not a peak time record per se, but it is for me. DJs, we all talk about energy a lot. I mean, it seems to come up a lot, you know, what was the energy like? What was the crowd like? How, you know, it's, mm. it's something, it's, mm. a, it's, a, it's a measurement in a way, you know. And also there's so many... I mean, just different scenes and different genres and different styles have completely different expectations mm. of what is good energy. I mean, some, so for you, 
at your ideal party, I mean, when you, if you could track that energy curve yeah. through the night, what, what does it look like a little bit? Is it, is it, you know, is it a frenzy where people are, you know, going crazy for a prolonged period? Is there a long, is there a long build of tension with, you know, a key release point? Mm. I'm putting you kind of on the spot here, yeah. but because I think it's interesting because I, I've no, you know, I guess really it's a question of restraint that mm. that's what comes in is some people are really about that, that long, long, long build and others it's just like from the get go wanting. Mm. I'm a builder for sure. I like I like spending. I mean, presumably it's a long. Presuming it's a long set, I like playing really long sets. I like playing a lot with dynamics, especially for the first couple of hours. Playing slow tempos, and also playing records that have a more open sound. Because the more compressed the record is in the mastering or in the production, the more energetic it will feel on the club and on the floor, depending on the system, of course. But I really like to play more open sounding records. And I actually really enjoy when people have sort of a, their own thing going on when I play at parties, when it's not always all about me. I love when crowds are involved and there are crazy characters and people that sort of they have room to dance and move where it's not everybody face the DJ and everybody hands in the air and jumping up and down. I, I kind of I like that feeling, that free spirited feeling of just being able to move around and just enjoying yourself, having a good time with your friends, you know, guys and girls. Just dancing, you know. I I, I like that 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 vibe where it's also just, leaving a bit more room. Yeah, I like for that. them. Yes, let them let them do their thing. Like that 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 them create their own party. Because I mean, there's not going to be any party without the crowd interacting and having a good time. And that's the thing that I miss a lot of festivals and I miss a lot of really big club shows that I do play 80% of the time. I miss that kind of vibe, that free-spirited vibe where people are just sort of dancing around and having I a think, good time. But it takes, but also as a DJ, I think, you know, to leave that space for people to do their own thing yeah. takes a lot of patience mm. and takes a lot of confidence. Mm. And I think what's something I've, I struggle with, I think a lot of people do, um, there's this irony that the bigger you get as a DJ, so you're playing bigger and bigger stages, mm. people are trusting you more and more, but also they're kind of expecting more and more. Yeah. So kind of what happens is that at the same moment that you should be getting more and more confident mm. in your ability to do whatever, in a way you also feel more and more of this external expectation. Yeah, sure. So it's a little bit, sure. it's, it's a bit of a balancing act. Yeah, you know, I agree like, completely. That's one of the reasons why I always make sure to schedule a couple of dates during the year in really small clubs that I just like playing. It's kind of a reset button. I play this Gavola, but you've played there already in Cologne. Oh, yeah. And it's my favorite place to go and play. And I end up playing eight, nine hours. It's just super small. And it's, there's room for errors, room for experimentation. There's room for just being yourself. Because I feel the pressure. Like if you're on a huge stage and you've got a bunch of people in front of you, and also it varies from country to country what works and what doesn't. So it's a, it's a big, big, big puzzle to find that sort of midway between what is your style, but also what you know works for that particular crowd. Like for instance, it's a, a bland example, but it's not a good idea to play songs in English in Italy, for instance, because not very many Italians speak English, so they don't, they can't relate to what's being said. Total, I mean, Actually, obvious I, thing. I never thought of it that. And and all these things that 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 you, you, I always have in the back of my mind going is like, where would you drop this? Like in Spain, they like more loopy stuff. They're not totally convinced by this melodic stuff that I play, so I have to cater to that a little bit. To, to, but it's all these things you got to think. You can't just go up there and just play whatever. That's that's the challenge of being a DJ, and it's also a growing challenge of being a bigger DJ that's entrusted with with a bigger stage. Because either way you look at it, if you fail, you cost them a lot of money. You cost the promoters a lot of money. It's kind of like having a, a Formula One team and putting an amateur in the seat. You know, there's a lot of things that can go wrong. You need to be really aware of all the the variables of it. And I think also talking about something a little bit different i think also that's one of the reasons why a lot of djs lately are going more and more sober because you can't just go up there and be completely wasted and pull it off anymore no well i don't even i i never could i never could completely understand how they did that no i was always that's impressed different. i was always impressed <laughs> <laughs> i'm still impressed what is uh what is a secret record that you've been saving for years and uh i'm very very interested in both the idea of withholding you know like like this idea because 
I think especially it's a generational thing. The old generation of DJs keeping things secret was mm. very important. Oh yeah, you know Forever. it was, yeah. and it was it, it, the, that culture. I think has changed quite a lot. So well, I still a, believe in it. Yeah, I I still do too. But it, it seems like anyway. There's definitely a divide mm. now between mm. the just the the I guess the generous and the sharing, whatever, and the hoarding. But what is a what's a top secret record for you, or something that you've just never felt able to play? Well, I mean. Uh, top secret records i'll say talking generally pretty much my sets these days are maybe 70 80 percent my own productions that i just haven't released because i feel it's extremely important to be able to deliver something that nobody else can deliver that's like the the general consensus in this case since it's my my last show i wanted to showcase everything that means something to me i'd say i would play a track that i've always loved very very much it's called uh, the caves of altimara by steely dan <laughs> <laughs> so this track i mean I, I actually i didn't really phrase the question perfectly it's really about it's it's about those ones that you've never felt able to play mm. you know and then because mm. we all have them you know i mean there's records i have records that they've been on the cusp of being played yeah for like 7,000 parties. Yeah. Like, I mean, it literally, it's a joke how, yeah. how, how it's never gotten played. You know, I don't know what I'm waiting for until I'm a hundred or something. Okay. But this particular one you chose, I mean, I, you're going to have to explain to me a little bit why you love Steely Dan. And you're not the first person I've had this argument with. I, I can't, I can't find a single thing I like about it. Okay. So the reason why I love Steely Dan, obviously there's a connection to my dad who, who okay. used to love Steely Dan, but I'll explain exactly to you why Steely Dan I want Dan to understand. Is, I don't no, want to be an asshole. I, so I, Steely I Dan was, uh, was the Daft Punk of the uh, 70s and 80s. You know, they were the first to, uh, realistically, they're really good musicians, but that they, I get. they couldn't play all the parts. So they would enlist different musicians to do different things. For instance, on some records, they have had drummers come in playing the snares and the hi-hat and only the cymbals. Or uh, they had uh, their different singers coming in doing the choir section because they weren't too happy with what came out. And they've been super anal about it. They were the first ones, in my opinion, to sample, but with studio musicians. They would have people come in and play their vision. And I just love the idea of that. The fact that you would go in, not being able to do it as good as someone, get someone to do it for you, pay the fee of whatever it cost at the time, and still keep all the credit, which I think was absolutely beautiful. But... The reason why I love Stevie Dan so much is that basically Donald Fagan is not a very good singer, but all the lyrics are so cleverly written. I mean, I love the irony and everything. So they moved from the, the, the East Coast, from New York. They're both, well, both have passed away, but they moved from the East Coast to the West Coast to make these records because that's where everything happens. So they have that East Coast irony, that mentality, but with the West Coast sound of the 80s, everything sounded absolutely beautiful and amazing. But all the lyrics have that sort of deeply, deeply arrogant irony to it. And I just, it just touches me. I love it. Do you think you will ever actually play it at a party? Uh, I've played I mean, several. It's a, tough, it's a tough one. I've played several Steely Dan records at parties. Okay. And none of them have ever worked. <laughs> no, I was going to say, it is, a, it is a genuinely tough sell. It is genuinely something I'll Please only do for myself. when you play it. <laughs> but this particular record, the reason why I love this so much is that it, it's, it's, it's one of the only lyrics that really relates to how I felt as a child. This sort of lonely upbringing, this scavenging around and trying to find your place in the world. So that's, that's why I really like this particular track. I have to say, I, I like, I mean, so I, I'm doing this series with a lot of different DJs and, and I really like, selfishly, I'm, I'm doing it to understand a little bit better what my compatriots go mm -hmm. through some of the insecurities some of the positives some of the the ambitions and also too what i'm starting to see is there's threads that run through everything different people do there's some people that it's a few i'm not going to name names some people it's really about excitement and fun and mm. escape some people it's really about uh moody kind of a darkness mm. some people it's about showing off some, but with you i see there, there is there's a definite emotional component you know as it relates to your own life to your past to experiences to and i think i actually think it's a big reason for your success i think it's a big reason of what people really are connecting to that there's this like uh i don't know you're you're it's not about not being afraid to do it but you're putting out 
uh, everyone says they tell a story. I mean, that's like the yeah, biggest yeah. cliche yeah. in the world that we know, but actually, and in your selections is consistently just an emotional component. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, I think it's good because I say it because I, I've said, we've talked about this. Mm-hmm. I've, I've moved, I've had trouble with that, you know, like with getting, yeah. you know, sometimes things are clever or sometimes things are cool or sometimes, yeah. but that, that underlying, because that's really what people want at the end, you know, I think. I think it's 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 you. We all have our burdens to bear, and I think the different way to handle it. And and music for me was always a very therapeutical thing. Even going to raves back in the days was all about just getting out of the house, just getting out of my own brain. You know, just escaping yourself for a little bit, and uh, not having to think so much for a while. That seems to have chased me into my career now, which is kind of depressing, really, when I think <laughs> no, about no, it. Now I'm thinking I, all the time. <laughs> it's as good a reason as any. I think that's why everyone ends up in, yeah. a, in a career. No, it's. Uh, I'm glad you noticed. I'm. That's what it is. It's. It's. It. It has to be for me a very, very primal and very honest thing. Music is supposed to come from that point. It's not supposed to be clever, and it's not supposed to be intellectual. I'm, I don't. No, I agree. Them. I think anyway. I, I think it's clear. Every but even the ones, even the people that are trying to be clever, the real successes. I, I've seen it in my own in in anybody's catalog. The things that leave the good zone into great mm. are the things that have an honesty to it. Yeah, it's 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 always the same. I think you're right. So let's talk about the actual party. Yeah. Your, your dream party. I mean, are you, what? Uh, where is it? Like a abandoned warehouse, I'm tropical kind of, island? I'm, no, no. I'm kind of I'm kind of split in between two because I have this big love for the for mountains. I love the Alps. I'm crazy about mountains. I'd love to do have this party on the Alps. Do it. Yeah, wouldn't it be cool? Mountain party. Mountain party. But at the same time, as we're now sitting in Ibiza, and how much this island has meant to me. There's one spot uh, in Calaconta, which is probably the most beautiful and magic place I've seen in my life, uh, especially during the full moon. And having a party, the last party in the world there would be absolutely amazing. Okay. I'll give you a visa. <laughs> Thank you. But I, I do have a soft spot for mountains as well. Um, who would open up for you? You have an opening DJ, some, you know, you, who are you going to trust with this momentous honor of warming up for you? Yeah, that's a difficult it's one. It's a tough one. Yeah, it's a tough one. I was thinking a lot about who my early idols were, and I think the one that would sort of, other than close friends that I know that would do the job brilliantly, uh, the the one other DJ that I could think of was probably be Francois Kevorkian, who would be the one to play an eclectic set enough, but also play music that would I could relate to in that way and do a good job. I think he's... One of the unsung heroes, if you can say that, of our community, because he is still to this day an, an, an incredible DJ. And the, the older I get, the more I appreciate it. I mean, the first time I heard him, I was rather confused by all the eclectic, eclectic selections. But uh, but uh, with my years, I've just come to really enjoy it. Mm. I don't. I've 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 never heard him as a DJ. I as a producer. It's funny. Just a few weeks ago. Actually, in Copenhagen, mm. I spent a few hours with Daniel Miller, and we just got deep into discussing Mute and Depeche mm. Mode, and we got on the subject of Francois Kevorkian, and he said that as a producer, he said he had never worked with someone that was as intense, I mean, in a constructive way, mm. and detail-oriented, and just obsessive about every single sound, every single element of the mix. He said he said they would go to clubs, they'd be up all night, then he would go right back into studio mm. and re-listen to mixes. Wow. He said he was completely next level. I mean he really made the point of Yeah, but anyway, you said it he's 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 underrated. He's amazing. Ideal uh, set length? As long as possible. Oh really? Yeah. Okay. yeah. I'm that kind of guy. Especially because oh. it's the last oh, one. Oh as long as possible. I'm actually doing a What's the longest you've ever played? I've done nine hours. Uh, I think I'm going to do some throwing a party in Antwerp in, in December where I'm going to play 10 hours, which is also the 25th anniversary of my DJing. And it's going to be a pretty cool one. So that's going to be interesting. It's funny because I have this app on my phone which shows how much movement I've done. and I'm so How many kilometers? Yeah, yeah, because I dance a lot. You're going for a, a 200 kilometer show or something? No, no, I'm kind of aiming for that marathon dance. Wouldn't it be cool to have danced 42 and a half kilometers? <laughs> yes. <laughs> that would have been cool. Yeah, that's true. I noticed that too. I noticed you actually, I remember when I first noticed that on my phone, I was like, 
I was like, whoa, you really walk a lot in airports. Yeah, like, you do. I was like, wow, you really, I did a t- lot. 10K yeah. in an airport. That's how we keep slimming. Who is, who's at the party? Like what, what's your, you know, when you look out there, I mean, what's your ideal? Is it, is it just, you know, is it a certain, is it young people? Is it just mixed up? Is it a, a cool crowd? No, or, we need. And it's we, a strange question. We but. need everybody there. We need, we need all the freaks. We need all the transvestites. We need all the cool gay people I've met over my life. We need all the, the serious but fun lesbian girls I've met in my life. <laughs> we need all the crazies, all my family, all my old friends, oh, all yeah, my colleagues. Oh, yeah, 100%. 100%. Do you get nervous when you play for family? Have you played in front of your... Yeah, yeah, they've heard me a few times. I love when they come out, honestly. I had a, a show in um, in Paris and my uh, my stepmother and her aunts came out and it was fantastic because it was, it was a fairly young crowd. I mean, they were probably early 20s, all of them. And, and just next to the DJ booth, there was this small VIP area where my, my auntie and my uh, stepmother and a bunch of their friends, they were all pretty much 60-something-year-old women they drank all my champagne. They went nuts for Going six for hours. It. And I love that. I love that diversity. There should be room for everybody. The music doesn't have an age like that. And I think if it was my last party, I'd have everybody that ever was an influence in my life to come there. And also all the enemies I've made over the years. Like one last chance to... Wow, this is like a real... No, no. One, <laughs> one, like one last chance to just, you know... I like the meet, idea. Meet I like them, meet old them, enemies. Make, <laughs> I don't have many enemies. Maybe two. Do <laughs> you want to know? No, but just a, a good good opportunity to maybe make up and uh and let bygones be bygones in that sense. My dream party there's an age cutoff. I don't like I don't want anyone over the age of I'm the only guy allowed I'm the only person allowed over thirty. That's boring. <laughs> Come on. I'm joking. You're the only one who'll understand all the records you're playing. I'm man. joking. I'm joking. <laughs> um, okay. As part of this setup, you were allowed a VIP guest. You're allowed to a golden ticket, one person alive or dead that shows up. Yeah. It would have to be my dad, 100%. So he passed away in 2003 of a, a brain tumor. And he never got to experience sort of the rise of what I did. He always thought that I was kind of going to be a loser kid because I didn't want to study. Well, he, now he was a guitarist. He was a cool dude. But he never really, because of his own struggles with the music business, he didn't believe that it was an actually viable option to do. To do. It's not. Well, it isn't really. <laughs> I mean, we managed to wrangle our very, way through. Well, it's a bit like sports, you yeah, know. It's yeah, it, yeah. it is an exceedingly. Yeah. It's yeah. A, no, I would really just have loved to see him experience just a tiny portion of of what I've achieved in life, and I'm not talking about record sales or. Uh, awards all this nonsense or money for that sake i'm talking about having been able to 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 influence people and just maybe give a little bit of happiness back to a lot of people you know that's the i think that's the biggest reward we have is what we do like we're standing at a festival and you're seeing these kids and they're having the time of their life you know smiles on their face and they're just going nuts kissing each other that was while you were playing what in general that you saw that no 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 no, no yeah no, when I, but but you know when you when you watch into yeah, the crowd and you're seeing these course. moments and you can relate to these moments because you've had the same moments at yeah. festivals and i've had the same moments to let's say derek may or to jeff mills or to kenishi or to whoever i was listening to back in the days and i just know that feeling i can see that feeling on their faces but is that is that actually something you still actively think about all the time see i i think Again, maybe I'm selling myself short, but I think you'd be surprised. I don't know how many people are still thinking that. I mean, I, I think it's a very, if you were actively thinking about that and I mean, aware mm. of that while you're playing, I think that's a, I think that's a very good thing. That's the, that's, that's 80% of what I do when I play is looking at people, see what's going on. And my biggest ambition is to play their cell phones out of their hands back into their pockets. But not, I mean... Dream parties, no cell phones, by the way. Oh, no, no way. No cell phones. Um, but I mean, it's, it's, I think it's, I don't, I, I, I believe these moments happen. I always watch the crowd and I, I always watch the action. I actually had a really shitty experience some time ago, I'll tell you about. I was playing at a, an after party to a big festival and um, it was the last tune I was playing 
And uh, there was this really intoxicated girl in front of me and she was dancing, having a good time and her friends were there. And this, this dude comes up, this real like reverse cap kind of dude comes up, starts groping her and she pushes him away. And he comes back and tries to put his hand up her skirt and touching her boobs and stuff. And I went down and said, stop being gropey. What the fuck is your problem? You know, I got really, really mad. And I think it's our responsibility as grown adults as DJs, but also as people to stop shit like that going on. And you can only do that if you're looking. And I've had situations where I've been in festivals and there's been fights where I've alerted the security or there's been situations where I felt, hey, she's not okay or he's not okay, where I've had people go down. I think it's important to, 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 to realize that we have a responsibility too. We're like the lifeguards of the festivals. Yeah, I mean, we're like horrible breakdance circles. <laughs> Yeah, we've got to stop that, that too. Those need to be <laughs> yeah. Glow <terminated>. sticks. <laughs> um, so, the, so now we are into the final, the aftermath. Um, after it's all done. Yeah. First of all, are you an after party type? No, no. Okay. No, I'm a big old barbecue with everybody there type. That's what I like. Okay. Big so old barbecue, a couple of jazz records and just hanging out, having a couple of beers. I love having that post gig beer and just hanging out it's, and catching up talking nonsense I, yeah <laughs> i love i actually i think sometimes sometimes my fa i mean sometimes i think my favorite part of everything is post show if yeah. it's if it's a good show yeah is that whatever it is that few hours like the glow yeah. of kind of a justifiable pride like yeah. a little bit of pride yeah. like you've done it you did it well people are happy everyone's good and there's no travel for a, you've got that little window yeah. like there's nothing to think about and it's a great feeling it is. so your so let's say your after party your dream after party is this giant barbecue with friends amazing food a few jazz records but there is a dj there who is it who's your after party dj hmm who I know exactly who it should who? be. John Satrincha. Who? John Satrincha. So John Satrincha is a legendary pizza DJ who um, played at the Satrincha. It's a little hut in okay. the, on the Salinas Beach. And the first time I came to Ibiza in 99, um, we couldn't afford to go to the club. So we'd go down there every day and just hang around on the beach and listen to him play. And he'd get all the new records. He played for seven, eight hours every day. And what he did was so beautiful. He'd start off with playing chill out records. He'd go into more breakbeaty stuff. And then suddenly he'd start playing house records. And before you know it, around six, seven o'clock in the afternoon, people would get up and start dancing on the beach and just having a good time. And he would definitely be my preferred after party DJ. Hmm. I had actually never heard of him. He's amazing. I could pretend I heard, but I'm, I'm no, super honest. He, for me, he's legendary. He's, he's one of the biggest inspirations, one of the most versatile DJs I've ever heard. And uh, yeah. Uh, when I tell you it's all over, like, you know, if I told just the idea, the concept of a final party, whatever, what's your, what's your first feeling? Is it, is it like, oh God, no, I don't want this to end? You know, because everyone's, a, you know, there's such a spectrum of people I talk to, spectrum where they are in their life or mm. in their career. Mm. A lot of obviously, you know, older DJs start to think about yeah, what's out there. Younger guys don't even think about it. You, are you, you know, what's, yeah, what, what's, what goes through your mind when you contemplate the end or uh, the end of performing at least? Yeah. Well, I think it would open up a lot of opportunities to explore other arts you know making music is something that's always going to be with me of course but i'd love to dabble into photography more if i had time for that maybe even take up painting or something like that well just for myself i've no i have a, a very very <laughs> good career going i'm not looking to expand that into anything else i just just for my own pleasure i'd like to experiment more cook more i love cooking um and also just have more time to enjoy life you know so what would so if if it was, uh, what do you think you would actually, what, what do you think you would do? Is there a second occupation or like if there was no, no more music? I think for the first year, I'd probably catch up on all the books I wanted to read, go to the museum. Catch up on sleep. Just sleep slap. for a year. That's for sure. Sleep is a, is a thing that we're in dire need of in this industry. But, um, but just in general, just focus on, on things that I've been not taking part, seeing friends. Yeah. Which I don't do enough at all. Hanging out with family, you know, go for a long walk with my mom once a week. I'd love to do that. Just talk, you know, mm. 
engage in good conversation like we're doing right now. Yeah. I, I, I completely, I think, I mean, there's so many things that, I mean, DJing is a strange thing because it is pretty much the best job in the world. I mean, I mean, the fact is, is, is like, and, and your license to complain is really, no, you can't really, because it is really amazing. But just because it's amazing, there are certain things that, you know, people don't see that you, you know, that you forgo or sacrifice. And, and obviously that feeling of never, for me, I have a joke with my manager where it's like the name of my autobiography would be like, I just need one more day. Yeah. You know, like it's always, yeah. there's this perpetual, you just, I just need two more hours. If I just had one more day, yeah. you know, like, cause you're always on the move. Well, I mean, as I don't know if you said it, but time is the only thing that we're going to run out of really. I mean, that's the true one luxury that we have in our lives. So either way you look at it, the time you, you waste is not coming back. And, um, I mean, it doesn't, it, it doesn't have a, I mean, it doesn't matter how much money you get paid for it. No. I think it's extremely important to choose your battles. And I agree with you. I mean, I wouldn't want it any other way. Like the, the, the job I have now, just, I actually was thinking about just imagine being in a band, how much of a hassle that would have to be carrying around instruments and having to perform every day. And if you're feeling hungover and you can't play your guitar very well, or you've got a throat infection, you can't sing, whatever, all these elements to it that can go wrong. Whereas we pretty much are yeah, but liberated the, a little bit of that. Yeah. But there is one big advantage to, I think to the band scenario, it's that conspiratorial yes, ga gang yes. thing, which is something that we, you know, I think that's another thing about back to back. You're yeah. temporarily in a yes. band, you know, yeah. for, for a few hours, because I think the, I think the going at it solo, I've talked to lots of people and everyone knows it now, but like anxiety yeah. and there's a lot of things in the DJ world. That's pretty acute because you're really quite isolated. I mean, you're, but also, you're alone a lot. also, there's a there's one thing that if we're going to talk a little bit esoterically about it, the, the the best thing about DJing, the best thing about electronic music from a commo commercial waypoint or from an audience waypoint is that it's an it's a very very sort of simplified, very very strong emotional expression, in the sense that there's one person you're looking to. There's one particular sound, there's rarely vocals, and it's a very, very primal emotional experience for everybody who attends it. It's not five guys, a guitar solo, two bridges and a chorus, and uh, this, that, and the other. It's, it's kind of confusing when you think about it. And I think that's the, that's the best thing about it, but it also increases the pressure on the one person performing. If you're off, or you're having a shitty day, it's maybe more apparent than if you're in a group, if yeah. you're in a, in a DJ, sort of in a band setup. Yeah. I oftentimes think it's, it's one of those things that's really best not to think about. Yeah. <laughs> because it is. There's so many times, it like, you're, you're playing for 20... Every once in a while, like, I'm in front of, like, 20,000 people, and a funny thought enters my head, which is just like, what if I just press stop? Yeah. Like, just like, yeah. I mean, in the old days, it was the thing about lifting the record up. Yeah. You know, yeah. there was always that thing of, like, you know, what if you just... Yeah. lift the needle up yeah. by accident or just yeah. that weird thing of i don't want to call it power but the the that imbalance that the tiniest no, thing you do but gets there amplified, is something there you know? is something to that and and i agree with you it's it's a thing you have to force yourself not to think yeah, about because it's just too much like twenty thousand people like even we played in the weekend here together we we're playing at the same stage there were so many people there, was there. it was enormous and it's just it's mind-boggling to think about. It's not something you want to spend Were your time you, on. Now I'm just into some bonus questions. <laughs> the thing about being in front of a lot of people like that by yourself, you know, like, were you, was there, a, were you shy at the beginning? Did, were there things you had to do to kind of, I don't want to say develop a persona, but, you know, to, to overcome that barrier of just being alone up there, you know, because I see you, you, you dance a little you put your hands you know you're 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 expressive mm. you know you're not hiding mm. you know you're not was that something that came naturally was it something was there a learning curve to it was it a conscious thing i mean i was fortunate i, I used to do a lot of theater and stuff when i was a kid i was also always pretty good being on stage mime and, theater right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes exactly i was so just, a mime you just you just dig deep into your mime training <laughs> Okay. Well, um, no, basically, it, what, what's been happening is gradually the stages have grown bigger over the years, which has been both daunting and, and, and very satisfying from an egotistical stand view, uh, standpoint in the sense that you, the more people come, the better you're doing. But I will honestly admit I had a, a long period of time where I was drinking way too much. Ah, okay. Yeah, and the, but that uh, helped. It helped. Yeah, it helped. Uh, it, it was in the early 2000s and I was... 
I was not going to say I was borderline alcoholic, but I kind of was. You know, looking back on it now, it wasn't a good time. And for a long time, up until maybe last year, I would kind of have to have like a glass or a wine or a beer or two before I go. You're not the first person that's told me this. No, no, but to cut cut off that sort of, you know, the anxiety of being up there. But within the last year, I've kind of stopped doing that. Mostly, unless I feel like it, and I don't want to, but mostly from the standpoint, it's, it, it, it also makes it really exciting for me to get up there again somehow, you know, because you get a little numb to the excitement at one point, especially when you're on your fifth show on the weekend or whatever. Yeah. But I find that it's, it's interesting to, to challenge myself both musically, but also mentally. Where am I? What can I, what can I do to sort of force myself to wake up a little bit? As we also spoke about earlier in this interview, you know, you've got to find ways oh, to yeah, keep yourself in this alive. Interview where I was, where I was debating if I should finally just get heavy into drugs <laughs> to give the crowd what they really want. I'm incredibly selfish. I, that, I've, I've broken it down that the, my not taking drugs, my, my consistently non-drug, non-alcohol life yeah. is just selfish. It's just, it pretty much is. It's just for myself. Yeah, you're not, you're not suffering if enough. If I cared about the people enough, If you were I a true just, artist, you'd do it. Of course. <laughs> of course. No, I have this plan when I'm 80, 85, I'm going to move into a big house with all my 85-year-old friends and we're going to take all the drugs that are there just to have good times and to figure out. I've never done drugs. No. I've never ever done drugs. I've smoked a spliff once, and it, 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 pretty much the only thing I ended up with was that I wanted to eat pizzas, and I can do that without the spliff. So I figured that was a waste of time. But I've never actually done any, and the reason probably is because my dad used to work with junkies. He was um, he was in a rehab program where he would take them on a cold cold turkey tour. They'd take yeah, a bus, don't... drive into the woods, stay there two weeks, and come back clean. That was sort of the thing, and he did that, and it was a tough. Tough on him, both emotionally, but also obviously tough on the junkies, I guess. <laughs> yes. But uh, I, I just never really found the glamour in it. No, that, that'll do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think just last thing, I think I'm always, I'm interested in something I ask a lot of people. I mean, how, how, self, how self-critical are you? Like, how much are you analyzing your sets after, after the fact? You know, how much do you, like, are you hard on yourself? Always, do you consider yeah. yourself hard on yourself? Yeah, completely. Do you think there are people, I mean, do you think there are guys out there that just are not like that? Because it seems like, I would assume everyone's a bit like that. But I also have this crazy idea in my head that there's some, that there are guys out there or girls, like there are DJs out there that just, they just play their thing and that's it. I don't think any successful DJ is hard on themselves. They have to be, right? Yeah, because if you're on that level and you have to perform on that level, you have to be criticizing yourself and you have to have a good group of people around you to help you do that, help you evolve, help you move along. And uh, it's, I mean, it sounds so easy, right? You just go buy a bunch of records you like, you play them and people are very happy, but that's just not how it works. You know, some people, some records work and some records don't. And, and it's, there's no immediate way of knowing unless you play them out. I mean, it's very, very simple. You can listen to a record thinking it would be a great thing to play out and it probably is not. I mean, out of the, let's say, let's say I get what, 200 records a, a week, maybe, maybe two work. Yeah, and that's how it is. So you got to be super critique about that. It's a straight. I think that's part of what this series and talking to people. It's about it's the fact that DJing is on the surface so simple and yet not really easy. You know, it, it it's a weird mixture of, and it's also I think it's something where it's it's quite easy to be good. Mm. It's quite easy to be decent, but it's quite difficult to be exceptional. You know? Yeah. So. Yes. Anyway, um, I think that's it. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. It's been an absolute <laughs> pleasure as usual. I don't. Th- we didn't do much stuttering or no ums or ahs. And uh, we can add that. I can. I punch those in later. And uh, I wish you all the best with all your projects. You too, man. For rights reasons, my legal team has told me that we can't include audio in the podcast. But you can find all the tracks that we talk about on our SoundCloud and Spotify pages. Also a note that some of these episodes were recorded in the summer of 2018, so don't freak out if the parties they're talking about have already happened, or if people have passed away, or if there's some other small inconsistencies. We will all just have to do our best to accept that. This has been Kolsha's Last Party on Earth, with me, your host, Tiga. You gotta know you're gonna want to join me the next time when I'll be joined by Gerd Janssen. Last.